In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome, everyone. 150 years ago this week, this very church that we are sitting in this morning was consecrated, set apart as a place of worship and a place of ministry to God. Now, I'm excited this morning to be able to welcome all of you as we continue to worship and minister in this space. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Back at the beginning of chapter 7, Jeremiah is instructed by God to stand at the gate of the temple and to give these words to warn his people. Now, from the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry to Jerusalem being sacked is about 40 years. 40 years of Jeremiah warning God's people. Now, about 100 years before that, Isaiah went to the same places and warned their grandparents and their parents and their great-grandparents. And eventually they changed. To put that in perspective of our anniversary this morning, the distance of Isaiah, between Isaiah and Jeremiah preaching is roughly the same as from when the Reverend Harry began here in 1930 and when I was elected rector here in 2022, 92 years. A long time ago, but I know there are people in this room who grew up in this church that remember Reverend Harry, not counting his grandson who I see here this morning. Please take from your mind that image we get in popular culture of God. You know the one I'm talking about. The one we see in comedies all the time. Where's God? Sitting on his throne amongst the clouds. And what is he waiting for? Waiting for you to make a mistake. And then what happens? Pop, there goes the judgment, right? We've all seen this before. Monty Python, The Simpsons. I'm sure there's a newer show than that. But we know that. And we have a tendency to skip to the exciting stuff when we're reading scripture. We skip over the talking and jump from big event to big event. The pattern we see in scripture is that God sins and warns his people, sometimes for decades. In Isaiah's day, he sent other prophets to warn God's people in the world. He sent Jonah. He sent Amos. He sent Isaiah, of course, Hosea, and Micah. In Jeremiah's day, he also sends Nahum, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. And if you read through all the kings and all the chronicles of this period, you're going to see that other prophets appear. And prophetesses too. And God calls them to deliver very specific messages to the king or to the priest or to others. And then they disappear off the scene. God's desire for mercy is great. And his love is never ending. This morning, we hear God through Jeremiah warning them to change. He doesn't want them to ask or their neighbors to ask when it comes to the time of trouble, where's God now? Why has he left his throne? Why has he left you? Defend for yourself. Then we read him right. Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes fountains of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. If you read through chapters 7 through 9, you'll see in these verses that God's grief and the prophet's grief are intermingled. It sounds at point like they're having a conversation about what the prophet has seen and what God knows is going to happen and how they want it to change. The prophet and God are both heartbroken by the choices his people are making. What we know now, being able to look back on it through history, 
is that more than two decades from, Je from Jeremiah preaching at the gates of the temple will occur before the city falls. And Jeremiah's attitude when the city falls, after 40 years of warning them, is not to be like so many of us and say, see, I told you so. Or, hey, couldn't happen to nicer people. No. His, his response is to cry. It's to write the book of Lamentations. Now, I want to quote Dr. Frank Yamada, an Old Testament scholar, because as I was studying this week, he said something, I think, rather simply than I could not find the words to express as eloquently. Self-righteous judgment, whether liberal or conservative, traditional or progressive, embodied in an individual or in a community, does not reflect God's way of being. The smug satisfaction of being correct at the expense of others may be in common in our increasingly contentious society. However, from a Christian and biblical point of view, these sentiments have no place. God and prophet are brokenhearted and despairing at the fate of his people. The proper response to a catastrophic judgment is not a theologically justifying, see, I told you so. It's grief, sorrow, and lament. Sometimes it's to ask, is there no balm in Gilead? Our psalmist writes this morning, who is like the Lord our God? Who sits enthroned on high but stoops to behold the heavens and the earth? He takes up the weak out of the dust and lifts the poor up out of the ashes. The psalmist knew what to do, to cry out to God, to praise him, to lean on his compassion and mercy. Now there are times in life, I know, where that's not always what we feel like doing. And there are times in life where what's going on around us doesn't really make sense. Where a tragedy, a personal or national one, is so great or so overwhelms us that all we can do is cry out. To cry out to God and know that even when it may not feel like it, he hears our prayers. And to know that he will lift us up. To know that his new mercy is new every morning. To feel that balm in Gilead. Jesus said to his disciples, There is a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. In our gospel this morning, we're in the midst of a series of parables. Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem for the last time before the resurrection. Last week we heard a story about how much we would rejoice if we found lost money or a lost sheep. The passage immediately preceding this, Jesus tells the prodigal son story. Remember that one? Where the son goes away and what happens when he returns? They throw a giant party. Today Jesus tells of a man who's the manager for someone wealthy. And he's about to be fired. He's accused of some sort of malfeasance. And notice, the man never once proclaims his innocence. Instead, he looks and says, listen, I'm not strong enough to work in the fields, and I'm too proud to beg. So he comes up with a scheme. He calls in everyone who owes his boss money or products and says, listen, you owe 900 gallons of olive oil? Let's make that 450. You owe 100 bushels of wheat? Let's make that 80. Why? He wants to have people who owe him. I think his plan is to show up at their houses, their places of business, and look for some welcome. He saved them a lot of money. And it's interesting that when his, his boss hears it, this rich man, he commends him. He tells, us, he tells him it's a smart move. Maybe even the kind of thing he would have done in his place. Now, is Jesus saying we should be like this guy? No. 
The purpose of money is not to hoard it. We don't sit on our wealth like dragons or dive into our money bins like Scrooge McDuck. And we shouldn't need our dead business partners to arrive on Christmas Eve to tell us we need to have charity and compassion on people. As Christians, we should be generous in helping. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And then if you've not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? You're called to be faithful in what we have, to be honest. Why? Because dishonesty may get us ahead with our bosses, may get us a bigger bonus or a better vacation, but it's no balm in Gilead. It's not going to heal our souls. Jesus said, no slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Now notice here that Jesus didn't say you can't have two masters. There were slaves in Jesus' time, history tells us, had more than one family that had a claim on them. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Have any of you ever had to hold down two jobs at the same time? Now let me, let me ask that question for people a little bit younger. Have you ever had to two, hold down two in-person jobs at the same time? Now, for those of you who have, have you ever been scheduled at both jobs at the same time? What happens? Can you be at both places at once? No. You have to choose one or the other. And there are days when, metaphorically speaking, we have to choose whether we're going to follow and do things like the manager in the story, or whether we're going to follow the example of Christ. First of all, then, I urge supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, but especially for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This morning in our epistle lesson, the church is being asked to pray every kind of prayer imaginable, especially for our leaders. Why? So that God's wisdom and God's mercy will be given to them. The result being that we can live in peace with our neighbors the way that God has called us to, to let Jesus be the balm in Gilead that heals us. He desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind. Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom to all. This was attested to at the right time. That is why Jesus came to heal us, to restore us, to become the ransom that brings us from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. There's an old spiritual that goes... There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. This morning, I know there are many of you going through, through things that I just don't know about. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you're frustrated with your job. Maybe you're angry with someone you cannot just forgive. This morning, I urge you, let Jesus be your balm in Gilead. Call out to him this morning. Amen.